Pumpkin Up our support of Heritage Buildings. This week, there's honestly not a lot. Mike Nichols certainly tried to make news this week by organizing a Value for Taxes event. Plus, Heritage Buildings get some funding, the Farmer's Market got a stop work order, and a bunch of garbage. Literally. Hi, I'm Troy. I'm Mac. And we're Speaking Speaking Municipally. Welcome back to Speaking Municipally, episode 58, where we're in the last episode where we will drill down that we are doing a live show next week, October 24th, Thursday at 3 p.m., Startup Edmonton. Be there or be square, I suppose, is what the cool kids are saying. We're going to be talking about politics and tech with counselors Hamilton and Knack. And I think I will actually like prep for this episode because I got to do, do a showing. Yeah, I don't have the magic of editing to make me sound smart in post, so... Go figure. I might actually make a presentable show next week. But, oh, I had a transition. You should leave that in there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it's, through the magic of editing, we're going to make this sound like I knew exactly what I was going <laughs> to say when I said, yeah, I'll be spitting some fire next week. And speaking of fire, the rapid fire segment. Nice. A Calgary councillor was asked if he'd ever considered declaring a climate emergency in response to the growing pressures of catastrophic climate change, which is causing an existential threat to the human population. And he replied, quote, over my dead body. This is a setup, right? Like this joke is too easy. He's trying to make me take it. I'm not taking the bait, councillor Chu. You cannot entrap me into making the easy joke. I will not. I won't make a joke now. This segment is just going to hang. When the city center mall completed their basement renovation, replacing retail space with indoor parking, the news update worked its way up to the Gurmesians, the owners of West Edmonton Mall. A source inside the meeting tells us that the flabbergasted response was, wait, you can do that? Not wanting to miss their shot, the mall will now be dedicating 118,000 square feet of indoor space to a Toyota dealership opening in 2021. However, ever an innovator and not to be outdone, not only will there be cars stored inside the mall, WEM plans to install a drive through lane inside their building. This, coupled with valet service, will make driving to the mall easier than ever, since patrons will no longer have to navigate the largest parking lot in the world. But, just to ensure that the mall isn't outdone, another thousand stalls will be added with a 200,000 square foot parkade. Still no word on that pedestrian bridge. As this episode is being released... Greta Thunberg will be marching from Beaver Hills House Park to the Alberta legislature in another climate strike protest in Edmonton. While the Alberta government will not be meeting with her, Don Iveson did extend a formal invitation by Twitter, which is how international diplomacy is done these days, to Greta, welcoming her to Edmonton. She intentionally traveled by low carbon impact transportation modes, but will be greeted by some big rigs doing donuts and red deer. Welcome to Alberta. We have a war room ready to fight anyone who says we're not bastions of clean energy. Speaking Municipally is a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network, powered by ATB. This episode is brought to you by the TELUS World of Science, home of the Canadian debut of Marvel Universe of Superheroes. The exhibition, which I'm looking forward to, runs October 19th to February 17th, and Edmonton is the first and so far only Canadian city to host it. The exhibition features more than 300 artifacts, costumes, props, and interactive elements to bring the Marvel Universe to life. You can travel through the mysterious mirror dimension of Doctor Strange, digitally transform into Iron Man, and pose for selfies with Black Panther, Spider-Man, and other iconic Marvel characters. 
2019 marks the 80th anniversary of Marvel, and you can get tickets for the show and learn all about it at tellusworldofscienceedmonton.ca. So I'm reading this ad copy here for the ad you just wrote, and it says, you know, some interesting bits to mention. Choose one or two that will connect with your audience. And as I saw the selfies there, I was like thinking, how can I make this into an Elizabeth Warren joke? I was like thinking of interrupting and jumping right in there. I didn't, though. Um, So the audience could be ever disappointed. And this, this is also staying in. We're going real <laughs> low effort with the editing on this episode. And speaking of low effort, let's get to our first topic of the day, smoking enforcement. Oh, what fun. So there's a report that went to council that talked about amendments to the public places bylaw. This was approved last fall. And what those amendments did was prohibit smoking in a number of areas like William Horlick Park and certain attractions and golf courses. And since taking effect, administration says they've approved 32 designated smoking areas. They've worked with event and festival organizers to permit six temporary ones. And since March of this year, they've done some proactive enforcement and issued 49 tickets and 28 warnings. So that's the facts that are in the report. I don't know what this means, Troy. Yeah, so those tickets that they've issued, did it say where those tickets have been issued? Yes, uh, on or within Parkland and city attraction sites. Okay, so I'm going to pose a rhetorical question to our listeners who can't answer and I will answer for them. Does anyone care about any of that? Is it a problem that people smoke a cigarette in Horlack Park? It's a big park. Probably not. It's very big park. The problem with smoking and where enforcement needs to occur and the contentiousness of this debate is like on White Ave. Or downtown. Yeah, or downtown. Places where I'm in front of a business or like I'm walking down a sidewalk and there's a chain smoking gang in front of me and that makes me frustrated and it makes business owners frustrated and it makes kids walking around enjoying the experience frustrated. Like on 104th Street, I push my daughter's stroller right past Kelly's Pub. It's a great neighborhood citizen otherwise, but people go outside and they smoke and it's disgusting. I'm a warrior. I will approach groups of smokers and say, hey, no smoking in this zone. I'll fight about it. Of course, bylaw officers won't. I've actually approached a bylaw officer when I'm like, hey. Wait, you saw a bylaw officer? I did. He was enforcing <laughs> parking though. So, okay, you know, well, well, yeah. gotta, gotta get those $35 tickets. Um, Anyway, so I actually did approach a bylaw officer. I'm like, hey, smoke in here. And he's like, mm, issuing parking tickets. Nothing I can do here. It was last weekend. I was in front of Hudson's on uh, White Ave and Calgary Trail. And it's just like people are taking a break from the bar. And there is a good 15 or 20 of them smoking at that corner where, you know, right. this sidewalk intersects with the road. You have to go through there. And I'm like, this is actively gross. It's prohibited by bylaw. But I'm not going to fight this because there's 15 of them and levels of drunk. Like, yeah, I'm going to lose this fight. Yeah. But it's not a fight I should have to engage in. This is there has been absolutely no communication or enforcement or attempt at enforcement on this bylaw, which begs the question of one, if we had no intention of ever enforcing the bylaw, why pass it? And two, why hasn't Don Iveson said that if users can't self-police, he's going to have to take away cigarettes in the city of Edmonton? <laughs> Real questions. I am so disappointed with how this has panned out because the entire point of this smoking change was a real pearl-clutchy conservative approach to marijuana legalization. Right. Yeah. Where it's saying, we want to make sure we can't smoke pot in these places And well, it doesn't make sense to restrict pot where you can't smoke cigarettes. So we're just going to make blanket large restrictions. But it is clear that from administration and EPS down, there was no intention of ever 
restricting smoking at all. And it just makes it a pot hating, pearl clutching, you know, punitive bylaw against legalization, which is legal now. Pot's legal, guys. And costing us a lot less than everybody thought it would. Here's just some fun facts to share. We might think that cigarettes cost us money uh, in terms of healthcare costs. And in fact, I've been the keyboard warrior on Reddit arguing that in comments threads. Until I got shut down by a guy. It was a couple weeks ago. I was arguing. There's some really compelling studies that says uh, cigarette smokers actually save society money because they die earlier. <laughs> um, okay. So that's a real There's... bleak perspective There's a certain kind of logic to that actually yeah, um because you know long-term care is expensive yeah so on that happy note we're going to talk about preserving other heritage things not heritage people heritage buildings yes probably the most interesting item that came up at council this last week was about the brighton block and the strathcona hotel so two redevelopment projects they're both uh heritage buildings uh the brighton block is being re- rehabilitated for 15 million dollars and the Strathcona Hotel project is about $5 million, and both developers, Primavera and Belgian, requested that the city reimburse a significant chunk of the heritage-related costs. So for the Brighton Block, that was about 50% of $3.4 million, and for the Strathcona Hotel, it was 33% of the $1.4 million in heritage costs that uh, they were looking to have reimbursed. Now, this is interesting because we do have a maintenance incentive program, for heritage buildings, but it only covers 33% of eligible costs. Um, So potential grants would only be up to 566,000 for Brighton and 463,000 for the Strathcona Hotel. So quite interesting that the developers came to council to say, we should get a lot more money to uh, restore these buildings. And the other report that went alongside this was all about the Heritage Resources Reserve, which is how we fund these projects. And it basically said that our balance of that reserve fund is getting pretty low and we need to make some changes in order to preserve it going forward. The Brighton Block, uh, for those who aren't familiar, that's the building just by Canada Place off Jasper Ave between the former Hyatt Hotel that had dead pigeons and lost the Hyatt branding and the new uh, Armature location. So it's it looks like a kind of like decrepit old warehouse building, which is, you know, the point of this. It's historical warehouse-ish building that they're hoping to get redeveloped and spruced up into something like the um, CKUA building. Yeah, that's right. The old Alberta Hotel building. Yeah. Yeah. It was very interesting this week because we have a growing heritage register, but not a lot of money to fund all these projects. Anytime anything is threatened to be torn down in Edmonton, we have a huge outcry. We had it last year with that... uh, blacksmith shop in Ritchie um, that was debated whether it was going to be torn down and there was a huge outcry about, oh, we need to preserve this. It's still sitting boarded up and unrenovated. And I feel like this is the story with a lot of our heritage buildings that end up getting, quote unquote, saved. Right. Yeah, we have 157 designated resources and the reserve fund balance is only supposed to be two million bucks by the end of the year. So definitely a concern if we're going to be able to both continue to rehabilitate and maintain existing ones, but add new ones as well. And as you say, there's growing demand for heritage buildings and heritage designation, which is which is a good thing. We just need to find a way to pay for it. And we approved funding for Brighton Block and the Strathcone Hotel, but it was one time funding, correct? Yeah, that's right. Council basically said, yes, we're going to grant exceptions for this uh, maintenance uh, incentive limit. 
uh, for these two buildings, and we're going to try to find alternatives to fund this heritage fund. So essentially they said, we think these two buildings are worth kicking in some more money for. Councilor McKean, who put the motion forward to find some ways to fund these two projects over the next few years, said... I think there's gaining awareness in Edmonton of the importance of preserving our story in built form. So that's kind of interesting to me. As a former member of the Edmonton Heritage Council, we talked a lot about um, how heritage doesn't just mean historic buildings. There's a whole lot to heritage that is involved in story and other things. Like wide roads? No, not exactly like wide roads. Uh, So it's quite interesting to see McKean talking about built form again, because it seemed like uh, to people maybe in the heritage community that took a bit of a backseat. I mean, the historical board has always been pushing for uh, built form heritage, but interesting that council decided these two things were worth funding. Moving on to another building that's um, struggling. Yeah, struggling struggling. the right word. Yeah, Yeah, I think that's fair. Yeah. Uh, You have had some thoughts on the downtown farmer's market over the last several episodes that we've talked about it. And were you surprised to hear that there was a stop work order issued for the downtown farmer's market? No, I mean, when I read the news over the weekend, can't remember if it was Thanksgiving Day or just before, you know, enjoying lots of junky food over the weekend. It did not surprise me at all. I was like, huh, (laughs) I'm out of town. It was a little bit disappointing that I'd be missing the grand opening of the new <laughs> building and then realized I wouldn't be. Yeah, it wasn't very grand after all. No. So what happened here is the GWD building on 97th Street, which the city market, downtown market, has made their new permanent home, has been under renovations for quite a quite a while now, a number of months over the summer. Um, and uh, at the final minute the other day, on Thursday, the city issued a stop work order. So pulling the plug on the grand opening, which was to take place on Saturday, and they said it was about ensuring the safety of everyone and making sure that the building is up to snuff to have people in it. And they said they're working with the owner to fast track the permitting process. So that's what happened. Not really a big surprise. As I said, this project has been poorly managed. Let's put it that way from the moment that we learned about it. What I thought was interesting is that it's been clear now for weeks that the market was going to move back to the GWG building in October on the Thanksgiving day long weekend. All the vendors have been promoting this when they were outside on 104th Street. Last week, they actually had city buses running from 105th Street over to the building to give people tours of the building. So Sharon and, and Emily and I went and got to see uh, the construction in action. And they actually are, you know, actively doing stuff in the building. But isn't that strange? Like, it's not like it was a secret that the building was planning to have this opening. This is something that they've been promoting in front of, you know, 10,000 people every weekend. The city actually chartered buses for them to go and give tours. I just find it very bizarre that it was Thursday night that they decided to pull the plug. And the other interesting thing here is we know that the city is leasing this building. Yeah. Right? Like, they should know everything that's going on there. I do not understand what's going on here. Because here are the facts as I understand them. One... The city owns this building. They're leasing the building. So they've taken on the major lease from Gene Dub. Okay. So the city leases the building from Gene Dub. Yep. And then they sublease that to the farmer's market for $1 a year. Right. Yep. The stop work order was issued by the city to the farmer's market based on lack of permits. Correct? Right. The city issues permits. Right. What? What? (laughs) What? So the person from the city, the city branch manager, talked about that they met with the building owner 
to discuss a number of options. So they met with Gene Dub. They met with Gene Dub. Does Gene Dub have anything to do with any of this? I mean, I guess so, because otherwise it doesn't make any sense. He told uh, the journal, you can't occupy the building before all the permits are fully processed and the city inspections have taken place. We're hoping to do that today. We also have AHS in here to look at this. Some tenants have only recently signed. Like, I don't understand why he's talking about tenants for the market, which is subleasing from the city, which is leasing from Gene Dub. Like, it's very bizarre. Can someone just get it done? Like, and like you said, this is not a surprise. I can understand this set of snafus of like, oh, well, we're a little bit confused. But the city has been jerking the market around saying, oh, you can't go on 104. You can go on 104 before they decide we're definitely moving. None of this is surprising. The only thing that's surprising is that there seems to be a bumbling Jacques Clouseau level of incompetence here. So I think there was just no way they were going to be ready to be open on Saturday and they had to find a way to make it look like it wasn't their fault. That's my sort of take on this. And then maybe that's just my bitterness about the management of the whole building and the, the move of the market coming out. So speaking of garbage, um, <laughs> Edmonton's <laughs> pushing for a regional garbage plan sooner rather than later. Right. So city council ratified the decision to tear down the composter building for $12 million. That's not a very big surprise at all. Other than, you know, climate change, we want a compost. Let's tear down a composting building. Well, of, all that. We knew we wanted to build a new one because this one was rotting. So isn't anyway. that the point of composting? Well, Basically rotting. But not the building, I guess. Okay. All right. (laughs) I'll let you finish the summary. Essentially, Mayor Iveson was talking to reporters about this and brought up the idea that maybe we should build a shared digester, so a shared facility for the region, or maybe a couple, rather than each municipality in the region building its own composting building. And so he floated this idea. He said, I presume there's greater efficiency in doing that, but we need to actually work that through and test that and build some consensus around that. It's kind of bizarre that this came up only now. Also, when we don't have a composter and Strathcona County and St. Albert do, this kind of seems like, hey, guys, can you help us? Can we just lease your composter? (laughs) None of this is like a bad idea. I think like, yeah, I think it's a good idea for sure. Regional cooperation, always a good thing. But again, isn't this a thing you like think before you get to a state of dire need where your composter doesn't have a roof and you tear it down and you need a new one? I guess... Maybe this is one could argue the best time to think of it, because if we're going to build a new facility, might as well make it regional and shared. But we've worked with the region before. Yeah, it's not fast. Right. And meanwhile, we're doing a new garbage pilot, having Edmontonians separate their organics into separate bins so we can all throw them into one truck and then put them in the landfill. It seems like maybe there's a bit of urgency on this file that let's work out the regional cooperation a bit later. I thought this was interesting as well, because you've probably heard me say on the show before that, you know, I think if he can follow through, Mayor Iveson's legacy won't be about transit. It'll be about his work on the regional file and bringing the municipalities together. And so this to me was a little bit of a return to form, you know, really pushing this idea of a metropolitan mindset and thinking about these things regionally. You're totally right that this is not their time to be bringing that up. Like it should have been thought of before, but we know the way the regional board works is they have these shared projects and these roundtables of things, and they've got a set number of them they're working through so like they're doing the regional agriculture master plan right now um and so probably that structure is a bit too rigid to bring something like this forward so it's interesting that he decided to take this forward through the media i do wonder if it doesn't have something to do with we have a current 
ongoing federal election, which climate change performs a big role. Yeah. And maybe those comments in the media gets one leader who says, hey, maybe we want someone other than the CPC to be elected in the Edmonton area to jump in and say, I will commit federal infrastructure dollars to your composter. Because I mean, like, it's what, 12, 13 million dollars? Right. It's free in terms of a federal budget. We'll take your money. <laughs> yeah. And may- maybe that was the intention here. Um, maybe that's just me reading into things a little bit too much. Election is coming up. Election is coming up. And we're not talking about it because this is a municipal politics podcast. Here, we're going to talk about the attempts that local politicians take to get into the news, which are <laughs> very, very trite and transparent. Speaking of which, Mike Nickel had an event this week. <laughs> and we used, or we heard his his favorite phrase used once again. Uh, so it was value for taxes, not metrics targets outcomes, though. Those two are interchangeable. He's used them both quite a bit. He decided he was going to book out a conference room at the Chateau Louis Hotel. With his own money. With his own money, mm-hmm. out of pocket. And he invited some business leaders and uh, the labor community, uh, union leaders, to join him for a roundtable discussion about value for taxes. So he's really pushing this idea that um, people don't like wasted money and that, you know, we should go and talk to the unions because when you're a business owner, he says, you should go talk to your employees because they have good ideas about how to improve things. Okay, so two thoughts. One, when you're a business leader, the thing that you're insinuating and he's insinuating... Oh, not me, he's insinuating. (laughs) The thing that you're insinuating through his comments... um, (laughs) Is the same thing that he said at council last week, which really ground my gears. It was in the conversation about calcium chloride. And he said, like, you need to listen to your experts, Tim Cartmel, the PNG over there, and me with my 30 years of business experience. I'm just like, I'm a dude. He falls back on that. Yeah. Can we can we just not Uh, your 30 years of selling stone to people doesn't impress me very much. Um, (laughs) I think that we shouldn't unequivocally take your word on things because you ran a business and we like we didn't audit your books business acumen isn't a prerequisite to being on council like i don't think that's the role of governors like there's there's a whole host of questions there right the other part of that is and i made sure to emphasize right at the start right at the start that he paid for with his own money that's right because he emphasized that really hard there's a bit of a hot take that that frustrates me a lot and i don't think he should I think that when a counselor is able to pay for an event that this is ostensibly a city political event. He's meeting with union and business leaders to figure out how to best plan cities to work for them. Yeah. This is, he could pay for this with his ward fund or with a city budget, but that he chooses to pay for it on his own sort of sets the precedent. You have to be rich to run for politics. It's lowering the accessibility of someone who isn't independently wealthy to be an effective counselor because when you're a counselor and you set this expectation that, oh, if a counselor does use city funds to pay for an event like this, they're wasting money, not like Mike Nickel. I think we have policies that govern what you can and can't spend money on. And this is a thing that you can, so you should. Absolutely. I get that he's like using the it as political cover, but there's a reason we set council salaries by an independent committee. And it's so people like Mike Nickel can't use lowering council salaries to $1 as political cover because they can independently afford it. So, hey, Mike Nickel, stop drilling that home. Doesn't impress me very much. 
It's a continuation of what we talked about last week, that he thinks the city's on this unsustainable financial path. Mm-hmm. What's your take on following that discussion up right away with an event with union leaders? <laughs> I mean, my take is that unions represent the single biggest bargaining unit and line item on our city budget. And if hard times are a coming, wage cuts are also a coming. Yeah. Um, I find it interesting that he invited the union leaders. It seems more on brand for Mike Nickel to just foist the cuts onto the union leaders without consultation, but... He's invited them onto his YouTube show, actually. <laughs> so this actually, to me, was a just another continuation of something he's already been trying to get into the media. Yeah, well, you went on his YouTube show, too. Um, yeah. Do you feel like uh, Taproot is going to get council funding because you were on that YouTube show? Not likely. No, so I, I don't know that talking to Mike Nickel materially means a benefit is oncoming <laughs> no that's a good point that's a good point so was there any interesting takeaways from this event other than troy has hot takes i think your hot takes are very on oh. point uh the interesting thing at the end of this is that nickel said he's going to do more of these things and he's hoping to have more concrete recommendations to pass along to the city so i don't understand why he wouldn't just you know, make a council inquiry like a normal counselor and get administration to do that. Um, because but, these, I mean, it's, it's rhetorical. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to answer your question and say these people are going to come to his $300 plate mayoral fundraiser when he launches his run for mayor in about a year and a half. There you go. Um, that is quite transparently the entire purpose of this event, because this is the same event he had in 2016 for the 2017 election. Right. In 2016, he had a $300 plate fundraiser where he said, you know, the business focus of Edmonton and how we need to run Edmonton like a business and do Mike Nickel-esque things. And then he had a campaign war chest to spend 110 grand on his Ward 11 run which he didn't need to do. His competition was <laughs> ostensibly me. You know, don't need to spend very much to walk all over me. This is pretty transparently, the fact that he says he's going to do more of these yeah. just means he is establishing a base. And I think that's why the union has presence there because he wants to get them into his camp. Unions wouldn't typically support Mike Nickel. Uh, So if he can get the unions there early, then that's a pretty solid path to victory. We know he doesn't say very much at council. So I guess this is the other way you establish a track record. And that's the thing. At council, there's minutes. You can be held to what you said. When you're talking face to face to constituents and at your private rallies, people hear what you say at those events and then they believe it in their hearts. But don't share it with anyone else. We're going to move on to a final seasonal item of we go down we get our pumpkin spice lattes at our favorite starbucks oh love a good pumpkin spice i have never actually had one in my life (laughs) um i i guess i'm extra basic that way uh but some of our favorite starbucks including some of their long-lived ones are disappearing yeah i thought this was really interesting that there's a number of shops that have closed so there's the one on high street one in garneau a couple of others that have all shut their doors People were really up worried about this, kind of up in arms. Like, why is my favorite Starbucks getting shut down? Probably the economy. I mean, the company says it's a normal part of doing business. Every year we open many new stores. We close some. They said they had previously talked about um, shutting 150 underperforming stores in, in 2019. So it's not like this is, should be a huge surprise, I guess. 
Um, it was interesting. This week, I saw that there's a number of Tony Roma's restaurants that have shut down. Where are the seniors going to go in Bonnie Dune Mall now? I have no idea. So maybe there is a bit more to the economy uh, than just Starbucks's normal course of business uh, shutdowns. However, they also opened five new stores in the past six months. The unfortunate hot take Troy has here is that it's probably about parking. The areas that they're closed, High Street, Garneau, Bonnie Dune Mall, which has Valley Line LRT construction for the Tony Romas. I mean, Tony Romas, that's another thing that just like, you know, millennials killed because they didn't like microwaved ribs. But 99th Avenue, 105th Street. Yeah, you're right. I... I suspect, and they're opening more stores than they're closing. And it's over the next um, year and a half, I think they said they were opening up eight new eight locations. Eight stores in 2020. Yeah. I think if we look at the locations of those stores, we're likely going to find that they're going to be in suburbs, in like strip malls around Costco's, the places where you do a drive through in your SUV with your three kids that you're taking home from soccer. The urbanist in me gets very sad about it, but also maybe thinks that the people who are scooting around on White Ave are maybe going to a fancier place than Starbucks for their artisanal coffees. Uh, I'm optimistic. Guilty. Yeah. Where? <laughs> G- give a shout out to your local coffee shop. Credo Mac. Coffee, Dosk. Ah, uh, there you go. Uh, Credo's Lockstock Coffee everyone Bureau. Everyone downtown. There's tons downtown. Iconoclast. Yeah. Well, there you go. That, that one's pretty close to High Street, too. So Yeah. Get your artisanal local coffees. That's the Speaking Municipally message of the day. Also, the Speaking Municipally message of the day is one from our sponsor, ATB. And this is about hockey. Hockey is a team effort, and ATB wants to be part of your team. From Tom Thumb and Pee Wee all the way up to the pros, ATB helps sponsor teams across Alberta. So whether you're on the ice or on the bleachers, ATB can help make hockey possible. Do you want a bank that doesn't keep you on the bench? ATB is a proud supporter of hockey across Alberta. ATB helps teams across the province and countless volunteers. I think I think I copied two paragraphs that are, are replaceable. Yeah, or, or, I'm, pretty, uh, I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty <laughs> Sorry, sure. I just realized. You know, so we're doing this ad read. <laughs> hmm, it's, let's talk about hockey a little bit because the Oilers almost made history this week. Well, they did make history, I think. So there's the first Oilers team in 34 years to win the first five games of the season. The NHL record is that they did the that. They won each of those games coming from behind. So yeah. that's an NHL record. And call Guinness up because once you add those several asterisks, you can really get a record right there. Every time we won, I was like, we're going to win the cup. We're going to win the cup. And <laughs> I mean, don't get our hopes up. But, you know, also let's look at the phone right now because there's an Oilers game ongoing as, as we're we recording speak. this. And what, what do you think, Mac? Do you, are the Oilers winning right now? Uh, yes, 3-1. Uh, oh, oh, boy. That's um, that's an optimistic score. The Oilers are actually up 2-1 over the Ooh, Flyers close, as we're recording close. this right now. So, you know, thanks, ATB. Um, this was an ad read. Troy's going to edit this together. <laughs> Who knows what comes out? Please don't cancel the show, Alberta Podcast Network. You can check out more at atb.com slash hockey. And that's all for this week. As always, check out Taproot Edmonton. Check us live next week, Thursday at 3 p.m. Startup Edmonton, free show. Come Come watch us heckle counselors. Yep. Until then, I'm Troy. I'm Mac. And we're Speaking Speaking Municipally. Municipally.